What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow. Science, Science and superstition. superstition. You've entered. The Fifth Dimension. The latest series from the Consequence Podcast Network will open the door into Jordan Peele's new revival of The Twilight Zone, and it will go as far as the limits of the mind itself. Subscribe to The Fifth Dimension. Consequence Podcast Network. you pod people out there, I am your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another edition of This Must Be The Gig, a little backstage pass to the world of live music. Each and every week, I bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance scene, and that could really mean chatting to a musician, a festival founder, a choreographer, comedian, actor, really anyone obsessed with performance in the way that we are over here at TMBTG Studios. So before we dig into this week's fantastic interview, which I was lucky to listen to for once instead of being a part of, let's check in with our CC constant companion here, Engineer Adam, Interviewer Adam. Hello. Hey, yeah, that's right. This this week I am host engineer Adam. That's know, my full that's title. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all you listeners out there, this week we're going to have a special treat as Adam went to Madrid Mad Cool Festival and he interviewed a bunch of guests while I did loads of upcoming episodes here based in Chicago. So tell me about it. That's right. At this point, we've gotten so many amazing interviews. We've got to split up and each be doing them at the same time. How incredible is that? Yeah, it's great. It's great. I'm, it's kind of what I envisioned the whole time. Of course, because you're the mastermind of this whole operation. No, I'm also incredibly lazy and <laughs> no. tired all the time. No, no, no. No matcha can save me. So I hope our listeners won't be thrown off this week by a lack of South African accent in the interviews. No, so just they... everyone out there, be cool. Be <laughs> mad cool. Oh. Eh? Eh? Oh. Oh. So I traveled, as Lior said, to Madrid, Spain for mad cool just a week or two ago. It was a weekend that was entirely and amazingly mad cool, as the title suggests. Oh, okay. Right. Good for bringing that one in. Thank you. I've... Uh, I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of festivals over the last, you know, few years, last decade of, of working in the industry. But I have to say, 
that despite the incredibly intense temperatures, coming from a Chicago in any way, it was pretty bad. Hot. Hot. It was hot. But the humidity wasn't too bad. That's true. It wasn't too bad. Let's get technical here. But let's just say it was hot. There was plenty of opportunity for people to be like, you know, down in the dumps and like, oh, I'm not going to a festival. Spanish crowds yeah, man, at they, Mad Cool they were amazing. They yeah, were out European, there in full force. Yeah, it was incredible. Commit. Well, also because they have to wait a long time for these acts to come That's through. That, yeah, it's I believe that. So, yeah. I mean, look, a lot of acts do pass through Madrid and uh, Barcelona. But then if you, you know, stuck in not those in other areas. Absolutely. You can you, come in for one weekend and get the whole, exactly, the whole shebang. Whole, whole shebangy. The crowd was Absolutely wild for legacy acts, of course, thinking Smashing Pumpkins, mm. Iggy Pop, Prophets of Rage, things mm. like that, as well as other powerful voices, Robin, Sharon Van Etten. Everybody was just so enthusiastic. It was amazing. I got to groove along with Lauren Hill. I watched. You mean like you and Lauren? Yeah, just the two. No, no. Just while I was well, in the crowd watching. One of the anecdotes from which I thought was amazing that you texted me was how one of your interviews yes. is right outside Lauren Hill's. Oh, right outside Lauren Hill's dressing room. Yes. You so, can overhear some commotion in there. They're, can you they're hear having her? They're having is a she good time. There? I don't believe I heard Why Lauren didn't Hill, you but pop you never your head know. In? I got to watch Iggy Pop sit in a leopard print chair and drink what looked to be a goblet of red wine. Backstage or on stage? On stage. Oh. <laughs> he was having a night. Iggy, uh, Iggy and I go way back yeah. the time during uh, Flow Festival in Helsinki when he decided to jump off the stage into the photographer's pit and spit at all of us. Luckily, I was clever and I did a classic whoop-de-woo, duck and roll. <laughs> so uh, the woman in front of me, unfortunately, sorry, I don't know who she was, what her name is, one of the local photographers got hit oh. in the eyeball with Iggy Pop. So she is part Iggy Pop With now. some Iggy Pop. <laughs> um, but I, la- I did get a picture of him actually spitting, which Amazing. was great. So I, w- I was happy all around. Maybe I was spat on. I don't know. If, if ever there were a moment and you wanted to be spit on, mm-hmm. I think That's Iggy's it. the right yeah. person. Absolutely. You know? It was truly an incredible experience the whole weekend, and I have oh, to thank good. everyone at Mad Cool and Practice Music. Thank you so much for helping make it all happen. It was it was an incredible weekend. I'm glad that we have some extra special interviews recorded here. So half this week and then half in an upcoming episode. We split them into two. But before we get to that, let's remember that anyone should, can, must, will leave a five-star could. review. On Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Where do you listen to your podcast? I use Overcast on an iPhone. So do I. Hey, look at that. (laughs) Overcast is one of my favorite ones just because it looks so dang stylish. It's sleek and also really super functional. You don't have to worry about anything crashing. It's really good. And I'm sure you can on other platforms, but you can kind of slow down and, and speed up. The yeah, rate, yeah, right? Yeah, for those, so that's what those I do. Uh, the, all those other boring podcasts, you can speed them speed up. But for up. ours, we recommend keeping at a constant one-time speed. I mean, sometimes I speak a little fast. Oh yeah, you could slow it down if so you need slow to. Slow me down, baby. I'm slow now. I'm just picturing down. you talking like this. Yeah, everything in life in slow motion is better. You get the details, you get the nuance, you get the damper, 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 damper. Every week, we shout out one of those people that leave us a five-star review. This week, it's someone who goes by Classical Ideas. Oh. It's a very fancy C-I. name. Okay. Who had this wonderful note. Leora's a wonderful host. I highly recommend her Tallest Man on Earth, Mountain Goats, yeah. and Bron Daler episodes. Yeah. All winners, is oh. what Classical Ideas had to say. I remember that Bron episode... Uh, he was telling me about how he was laughing because he, on set of Game of Thrones, which he was asked to be a part of, he saw White Walker just like asking for a cup of tea or something. Yeah, 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 I remember um, that. And obviously Mountain Goats was our one-year anniversary special episode and John was quite uh, phenomenal. And Tallest Man on Earth. And Tallest Man on Earth. Again, he rarely gives any interviews and we just got to chat about the mind and the heart and the music and the art. That so rhymed. And it was perfect. Thank you for your words of support. Classical ideas. <laughs> I'd love some of those classical ideas. Send them my way. Let's return, though, the attention to this week's incredible chat. And for that, I will turn back again to you dear it sounds like i've got one of those revolving heads like in um, (laughs) 
exorcist. Anyway. As we mentioned earlier, we will have two episodes of, of interviews from Mad Cool. This is the first one. And on this week's edition, we have three chats. Yeah. Who do you chat to? In the first one, we've got three members of the legendary supergroup Prophets of Rage. Yee. If you will remember, back in the day, back six months ago or so, we talked <laughs> to Be day. Real, who is from Cypress Hill, but also one of the members of Prophets of Rage. So mm-hmm. we added three other members of the group, checked them all off the list. But this week, we have Chuck D and DJ Lord of Public Enemy, as well as Tim Comerford from Rage Against the Machine. I got to chat with Chuck about discovering his skills on the mic, Lord about making a connection through the turntables, and Tim about his habit of tossing the football around pre-show. Amazing. And then you got to speak to the one and only Neo. Uh, less than a year out from the transcendental album Saturn, you two discuss how her jazz training affected her performance, how reading keeps her creativity fresh, and what else from my notes? Oh, and how to keep moving on the festival circuit. And finally, last but not least, we have a chat with Tourist, aka William Phillips. Uh, Is he related to me? I Probably so. Billy Philly. Billy Philly. Yeah, I like that. I love Tourist. Yeah. He's, so he is the co-writer of the Grammy-winning and inescapable Sam Smith tune, Stay With Me. You might know him from that. But mm-hmm. also, we got to chat about how he takes his headphones electronics to the festival world and what that jump is like, how he handles tech troubles while on stage, oh, and boy. how running keeps him sane while on tour. So, in the words of the incredible Lior Phillips, Ooh. let us not be delayed. This is me, Chuck D, Tim Comerford, DJ Lord, Nao, and finally me and Tourist. Enjoy! (laughs) Bye! We always ask, what was the first concert or the first performer that really made you fall in love with it as an art form and what made you want to go into that as a career? For me, it was the Sex Pistols was like, as a kid, that was the first band that, or, you know, Kiss early on, but the Sex Pistols was the band that I first obsessed on and that was the first concert I went to was PIL, not the Sex Pistols, yeah. but like as a kid, they played Anarchy in the USA, they, they ran that yeah. and... Yeah. They had great, you know, Jaw Wobble and Keith Levine and that whole crew, and it was, to me, it was special, but, like, that was the band. Amazing. The first DJ I saw perform on the scale that I was aspiring to get to was Jam Master J. Amazing, yeah. And the energy that the crowd gave him back and how he had the control of the entire show, and he can switch it at the drop of a hat, and his, 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 his method of making it look easy. Did you tune into that immediately at a young age? Because some people don't even recognize that something that no, DJs No, I tuned in at a very young yeah. age. My cousin Bernard in Philly was a DJ, and I had to figure it out. Yeah. So it would be Jam Master J and Run DMC, and shortly after, Public Enemy. Go figure. Growing up um, in the 60s, nothing like James Brown. Yeah. Nobody like James Brown. Even still. First performer I saw... Not that I was going to be a performer, but the first performer I saw in concert with my own money, Rick James. I just would come out of Rick James' concert saying, I just seen him do it all. Yeah. I, I, what the, you know, I just was hoping I never got hit by that mic that he swung <laughs> off that mic cord. <laughs> yeah, the way he swung that mic. <laughs> and then uh, hip-hop-wise, Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel as a duo. Yeah. I could not conceive anything sounding that good on a microphone on a turntable until I saw that. And you know, I had witnessed people on the turntable and people on the microphone. And then then Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel was coming to town and then I was like, this is something else. (laughs) This is not what I've been looking at and hearing. What did it take to push you over into beyond like this is amazing to I need to do this? Was it that as well? In every, in every sense of the word, I was asked to do emceeing, and I never wanted to do it. I In college, I got on the microphone to sit whack emcees down that was messing <laughs> up my dance. And when I got on the mic, I, made, I would make a cheap Radio Shack microphone sound like a trillion dollars. <laughs> and the next person that got on the mic, it sounded like Radio Shack. <laughs> so I would get on the mic to sit them down so because those guys messed up my dance. And uh, people would hear me, and they were like, yo, man, 
stay on the mic, man, because we can't have these whack cats getting the mic, <laughs> and that's how that happened. So I was asked to be an MC. I was asked to be in the group. I was asked to make records. Yeah. I never was like, oh, I want to make records. Rick Rubin had asked me for two years. I turned them down. But, you know, I mean, and, and I was asked to be in Prophets of Rage. Yeah. So it's like it's, you write half of your life and life writes the other half. It's good to be in demand. Yeah. Uh, so, Tim, I saw you throwing the football around earlier yeah. out, out of the artist area. Is that a common, like, uh, pre-show warm-up? Or do you guys yeah. have any rituals that you like to do to when you're out I on do. tour? I do. I enjoy that. Always have. That goes way back. And Chuck's brother, Eric, solid player. So it's, it's good to have him out with us. And Chuck gets a little worried about it because we play. it's like a different type of game you play out there when there's people around. Yeah. You want to get close. You want the ball <laughs> to be really close to hurting somebody else and the guy to catch it. That's a yeah. perfect shot. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of pressure. My brother's old and he just don't know it. <laughs> Do you guys have any like uh, habits or rituals that keep you fresh when you're out on the road for these long stretches of time? Yeah, I draw. Yeah. I, I, to fill up all the downtime, I draw and um, I paint. Well, this is a this is a profits of rage thing I've I've taken up the last couple of years. So I, I might last the last two I just did I just did a whole comic book. Oh, amazing! A graphic novel. Yeah. So this time around, I just might draw Timmy playing the bass nude <laughs> or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you right now, you can cover up a lot, and make it real easy for yourself with certain parts of my anatomy. <laughs> Is that enough info right there? That, 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 yeah, I got you. Uh, I, I was also curious. Obviously, there's political unrest and, and racism and, and sexism all over the world. It's not exclusive to America, but coming from the American political situation and being fueled by that when you were first forming the band, what's it like then to tour festivals across Europe where it might not be exactly the same? Are you still feeding off of that same energy from crowds? Uh, every country has this different thing. You have to go in knowing what's going on in their territory. You could catch a bad one if you go into a place thinking it's some other place and ain't the place that it is. Yeah. So you got to be aware there. But we got Tom Morello for that. I defer to Tom Morello pretty good. <laughs> and in Public Enemy, I'm usually the guy that got to read about it and go in, make the set list all night. So I have a, a luxury. And, and I have a luxury of kind of being right next to Tom and figuring some of that out, but being next to Lord and Timmy and be real on just feeling the organic brotherhood that we have and yeah. just get down and try to be the best that we can be. So that's the enjoyable thing. I can sway left and right, and and and, um, and we get the job done. Do you have any favorite stops on a, on a tour like this? Is there any place that you get to go out and experience more of the community, or is it just pretty much pack up and in, in the road and go? It's pretty much pack up and go, but there are a lot of favorites. I mean, we we smash some crowds, man, in Europe, smash some crowds, Paris. Freaking yeah, Brazil, Japan. Japan. We had the samurai. Yeah, <laughs> all samurais on stage in Japan. We got some times, man. I mean, I like it all. I do. I, I and to me, so much of it is the audience. Yeah. You know, like a show is a show. If you know, you can play the greatest show, and if the, the crowd's not having it, then it's maybe not that great. And so I'm looking forward to, like, the, my favorite places are where the best people are, you know? Yeah. And you ne kind of never know where that's going to be, you know? Really. Do you ever hit a breaking point when you're on tour where you just had enough and don't want to keep going? Or Never. Never? Just keep feeding off that energy? No, it's a blessing, man. To be, like, I've been, I'm 51 years old, yeah. so I've been at it a long time, and Chuck's older than me, and he's been at it a lot longer. <laughs> and, to, to, like, we're not supposed to be able to do this. Yeah. Like, we're, it gets whittled down every year that goes by. Like, it gets into, like, oh, the the less than 1%. You're into, the like, the percentage of 1%, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. of people yeah, yeah, yeah. that can continue to do it. And it takes... It's, you have to kind of let go of your ego and just love music and love yeah. what you're doing and, you know, try to aspire to to get to the highest level, you know, as a musician. And the beauty is, and for some reason I was thinking about it through this whole thing, that what inspires me is that I can be the best I've ever been 20 years from now. 
Yeah, that's amazing. As a musician. Yeah, absolutely. That's so sick. It is crazy because we have a saying. I mean, this is not, you know, no, no knock on whoever, but this is not Billy Joel and Tony Bennett. Is this is... Either you do the songs or the songs will end up doing you. Yeah. That's the type of obstacle course that this is. It's it, it can yeah. you can get hurt up there by not being ready for it. Absolutely. Yeah. So and that, that that's a challenge to have somebody look at you thirty one years old and be like, Oh how the hell? Yeah. Yeah. So we Amazing. try to make it hard on ourselves. always curious do you if you're you're obviously playing a lot of festivals this summer as yeah. you do a lot of fest, uh, summers do you interact with many people do you tend to sort of stay in your area how does that go um yeah i think what's cool about festivals is that there's so many artists just yeah. kind of like hanging around like where we're sitting now i can see boniverse dressing room i can see lauren hills dressing room <laughs> so um there is an opportunity you know to meet other musicians and especially like band members as well yeah, absolutely um so yeah i i love mingling as much as as much as possible but mostly though saying that when i come off stage i'm usually so sweaty i'm sure <laughs> i mean you're one of the most frenetic performers you're just so Aww. yeah it's amazing i first saw you at pitchfork festivals three years ago maybe yes yeah it was incredible it was mind-blowing thank you so i was curious because i that i hadn't heard your music prior to see prior to seeing you live there yeah how do you feel that you convey yourself differently live as opposed to on record is there a different world for you there absolutely i feel like there's probably more freedom live you mm. know um on in the record everything has to be so controlled because you know it has to be perfect for that right, moment right 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 but um, in live, it's like you can go vocally. I can go anywhere I want. Um, physically, I can go anywhere I want. Um, and it's just a whole different creative space, really. Right. So, was there a concert that you saw when you were younger that really inspired you to want to be a performer, or was it more recorded music that drew you to it? I think it was probably more recorded music and like watching live shows on MTV Base. So. Yeah. When I was growing up, I was a massive fan of um, oh, of Lauren Hill, of Jill Scott, of D'Angelo, and I just loved like how live their bands were. They would have so many amazing musicians on stage. Right. Everybody just jamming and grooving, and, and I, that was my first real experience of seeing musicians, you know, doing what they do best. Did you see live performance at all as a child? Was that something that uh, your parents? What, what kind of music were you listening to at that age? At that age, I was probably listening to everything. Yeah. Um, I have a really big family, um, brothers and sisters, all older than me, <laughs> who love music. And so they were playing everything from hip-hop, old-school R&B, old-school soul, garage, jungle. So I kind of had every music coming into my ears. <laughs> That's the chaos here. Someone's excited for the show. <laughs> um, but I think probably my first experience of a live show was... I think I was playing my own. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I used to do, like, competitions when I was really little, yeah. like 12. Because you studied uh, in, in a jazz program, is that right? Yeah, I studied at the yeah. Guildhall School of Music in London. Um, I studied jazz there. But when I was little, I used to I used to do, like, these weird singing competitions. Oh, really? Um, so I guess I was thrown into live performance from <laughs> a young age. But I think I, I, think I saw Be um, Beyonce first as oh, my wow. first big that's, show. Yeah. You, both yourself and Beyonce fused together as first shows. <laughs> <laughs> so what really uh, helped you cultivate your live persona? Did you just immediately know this is how I'm going to be in this space or was it more of a learning experience? It was definitely a learning experience. Like Before I became Neo as a singer anyway, mm -hmm. but I would just sing in so many different capacities like I was like you know singing for people's weddings or um, singing for other people's yeah. projects yeah, yeah, yeah. so I guess I learned a lot being on stage but being able to hide away in the background in a way I'm sure that a wedding job also is probably like People had to have been pretty demanding. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, and you're singing like these massive Motown tunes, and they're so energetic, and it's all about the vocals and being physical. So it was actually a really great space to learn how to perform. I'm sure, and especially considering that 
there are certain things you have to get right. Yeah. It's about precision as much as it is artistry, so that must have helped develop that side of your brain too. That's very true. You're right. You and you're doing covers, I guess. It's about emulating, and in that you learn so much, don't you? Absolutely. Do you think that your jazz studies also helped at all in terms of Obviously, they helped in terms of your musicianship, but in terms of being a performer, did you learn a certain way of this is jazz performance as opposed to pop performance? Yeah, do you know what? I think in terms of jazz, I had to go the opposite way. Um, when I studied jazz at jazz school, it was like very much like head down, eyes on the music. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't very physical. It was, it was really quite serious, and I found it really hard to let go when it came to making my own music at the beginning when I started performing it I had a jazz mentality yeah um, and it was actually when I went on tour with Little Dragon um, that I started to open up and explore what dancing would feel like sure yeah because their audience are so like open they're so rece- uh, receptive you know so it was a really safe space to try something different and so that helped me really evolve into what I do now have you found any sort of similar characteristics in your fan base across as you've as you've grown a larger and larger and much larger one over the last few uh, years <laughs> yeah absolutely you know what like I'm really proud of um, I just feels weird saying my fan base <laughs> but um, you know the, the audience that listen to my music I'm so proud of them because they're so diverse mm. in, in all aspects um, when it comes to age when it comes to race backgrounds and um, when we have a concert you know it's like two hours in a space and we're all together no matter where we're from, you know, we're all yeah. singing these same lyrics, kind of like going to church in a way. That was something I was really excited about when you performed first I saw uh, on TV with um, uh, Sheik and Nile Rodgers. Oh, cool. Like, that's, if anybody can touch into that, like, unified, everybody's going to get into this feeling, that would yeah. be that group. Absolutely. What was that like for you? It was a really fun experience, I think. Um, as I said, like, I used to be a wedding singer yeah so all I was singing was Sheik <laughs> and Nile Rogers so when I uh, when he hit me up you know to be a part of the project it was a no-brainer for me because I guess in a way I couldn't have been doing what I do today without learning all that he had taught yeah absolutely know. when you do write and learn new songs for a live space do you tend to favor those when you're performing or do you still like to pull out the songs that you know will be like crowd pump up make you happy I know some artists are like I've done that song a hundred times I don't feel it anymore yeah. what's that kind of blend for you uh, do you know what I t- I'm, it's still uh, it's still kind of it's not new to me but the songs don't feel old enough to get to that yeah. point yet <laughs> you know um, I'm just happy that when I sing new songs people know them yeah <laughs> so um, right now I just still mix it up between the first and the second album right um, and just kind of um, just change up each each time we play. Really, it's what was it like the first time you saw a large group of fans like singing along with you? What was that experience like? It was really, um, it was kind of quite surreal, and it was like I don't know, it made my heart swell. <laughs> it's the only way I can describe it. It was yeah. like I was watching it from the outside of me, just because I'd never experienced that. And uh, it was really a really beautiful moment. Do you have a place that you feel like you've seen the largest reaction like that? Is there, you know, do you tend to see differences country to country, city to city? Uh, you know what? Every time we do our own tours, I feel like everybody that comes to the show, they're like, they're proper stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so we get a really, we kind of get a, the same reception. As long as it's like, it's different when you're at a festival because, um, the audience are there for everybody and right, they right. can choose but when it's your own show on your own tour the reception is yes yeah, it's, it's otherworldly when you're at a festival like this one do you ever take time out to go see other performers yeah definitely like today because we're opening the stage you know there's so much time to be able to witness other yeah. people um, and it's so hot yes. <laughs> I don't want to be outside so <laughs> I'm really excited about seeing quite a few people play today do you ever get that like I just, I'm going to hit the road again, obviously, for the next tour stop tomorrow. I'm just going to lock myself in the dressing room and just be done with it. As in, like, be done with touring? Yeah. Like, do do you hit that breaking point? Yeah, usually 
the last day of a tour. <laughs> well, it's, that's good timing then, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about touring that's quite unnatural. Um, something about changing time zones every two days. Absolutely. It's like the body's not the body is not built for for that sort of demand. And uh, even though you're performing, say at like nine o'clock at night, you're really working from you know nine o'clock in the morning from the moment you've got to set up and sound check. So I kind of understand how you get musicians, like especially back in the day, that would end up you know um, in serious situations with alcohol or drugs because um, it's such a it's such a weird demand on your body. It's almost athletic in a in a sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And like and it's athletic but you don't get the training that an athlete does. Yeah. You don't get the nutrition. Absolutely. <laughs> There's nobody coaching you to make sure you get enough sleep and no. make sure you're drinking enough water and Exactly. Yeah. There's none of that. Especially I mean, I, I imagine when you're at a massive pop star level, obviously you can if you can afford to bring like your yoga teacher and a nutritionist then Absolutely, but at my level, <laughs> yeah, it's not happening. So, you know, I, I often do reach that point, like usually towards the end when my body is broken, my voice is tired, I'm tired, um, and I do shut myself away in my house, in my garden, with my books. Do you have any rituals or habits that you use while you're, you know, to keep yourself so that breaking point only happens at the end of the tour? Is there anything that really helps you keep that? Yeah, reading. <laughs> There's something about reading to me that when I come off stage um, and I get into my bunk bed and usually the band are out drinking and stuff <laughs> and having a party. And I, lo- I love partying so much, but unfortunately it has such a bad effect on my voice yeah. that I just can't do it. So there's something about reading that helps me calm down because your adrenaline is on 100 after a show. And just being in your like, I kind of call it like a coffin because that's what it's like on your tour bed. <laughs> yeah. And your bunk bed. It's so pitch black. And you're just reading, you're reading it. It really calms me. It really centers me. And it's what puts me to sleep, you know. Um, and it keeps me, if I feel grounded when I'm reading. So that's often what I will do. Do you have a favorite type of reading to, to um, while you're on a bus? No, just whatever book. I, I always make sure before I leave tour that I've always got into a book, like a quarter yes. of the way. Yes, yes. Because you don't want to pick up a book and you're like oh this is terrible and then you're stuck <laughs> and you don't want to be almost done and wind up having to find a used bookstore somewhere on the way it's exactly <laughs> yeah but usually I like um, non-fiction things that like resemble um, people's life stories right. you know that sort of thing that has to be really great for cultivating that emotional connection that you need to go out every night as well absolutely yeah I, I think you know reading books like that as well is really important for uh I don't know. I feel like it's really important for people as a whole. There's so much stuff that we're going through now, especially with like immigration and like, yeah. like anti-immigration as well. And and when you're able to hear people's stories about how they've travelled, how they've lived, the wars that they've been in, it really connects you to the reality of the situation. Um, and so it for me, it goes beyond music. Yeah, it's like books are a really great way to humanise um, our experience on this planet. Did you always, uh, from the start, feel like you had an, a sort of debt in order to speak a truth to um, show yourself more than just being a, a singer, as having this voice beyond that? I think so. I think that might have been instilled in me, especially going to jazz school, yeah. you know, where it's very academic and it's very, like, serious thing. And you're, you're exploring artists like John Coltrane and uh, Charlie Parker and Nina Simone. And I guess all of those artists, uh, musicians are playing from a place that is from their soul. Mm-hmm. And there's like real truth in it. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think I do, I guess, without thinking. <laughs> uh, I've got one last question. I'm going to just get, I have to ask this as a former jazz performer myself. Oh, wow. Uh, not beyond college, so I don't want to okay. toot my own horn, so to speak. But do you have a favorite jazz performer or a, maybe a record? Yeah, I think um, one of my favorite jazz records is, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's a bit cliche to say this record, but I Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, also, it's um, a cliche for a reason. Absolutely. It's just something like, when I first heard it, I was like, what is what? Yeah. <laughs> what just happened? But the more I understood jazz and the more uh, I listened to this record, it really 
it was really beautiful and also he has an amazing album with Johnny Hartman who's a singer um, and those two records for me are perfect for me it's Ascension that's, oh, that's yeah. my yeah beautiful. my go to yeah alright lovely thank you so much thank you so much alright enjoy have a good show hopefully yeah <laughs> I just caught your set over okay. at, at the, the loop. Oh, yeah. I was really curious. It seemed at one point like a flock of like eight men just ran over to you and started rolling you around. What was going on there? Uh, so I pay them <laughs> every show to come along and roll me around just yeah. to spice it up, really. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's, what, that's why people come to music festivals. <laughs> is, is, that's why they come. Yeah, they absolutely. See Spectacle. A guy rolled about, <laughs> rolled around by eight Spanish men who he doesn't know on the risers because there's clearly an issue with the mechanics of the uh, the uh, the riser but no I, I mean I, I don't know why that happened I think maybe I mean I could turn it into like yeah I was just making such good such a good vibe that yeah. you know everything I was floating around the stage you played it off though I didn't see you you, you barely looked around to see what was going on and yeah. then looked at the crowd and then thought how does a human being react in this situation <laughs> how, what am I supposed to do am I supposed to look at you guys and be like hey that was weird. Or I was supposed to look at the guys who were trying to help me and be like, what are you doing? Like, it's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm always curious about what goes in differently to a festival set as opposed to like, you know, a club show for you, for a performer. Do you have different preparation mentally, logistically? Is it that different or is it just show up and do your thing? Well, I mean, I think I struggle a lot because essentially all you're trying to do is sell yourself wherever you are. You're just trying to say to other people, this is what I'm about. Right. This is my music. This is who I am. I mean, I, I probably experience a different problem to people who are in a band because there is, an, there is an inherent kind of like conversation that bands, I mean, not all bands, but um, like if you're in a band, you have a microphone that is yeah. your primary source of communication with your crowd. Like I don't do that. So... Every single set is me just trying to kind of communicate to people what I'm about at a festival. Yeah. You have less time. And I think there's a lot more passing trade to sound like the worst guy ever. <laughs> but, like, that's what it is. Come on. Like, you're essentially trying to create a vibe for a, a certain corner of people who are in a certain mood. And um, I think every festival is so different that it's difficult to say that there's a formula to, right. to, to, to yeah. connect with people. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it just depends, really, and that's such a that's such a bad answer. And I do apologise. No, but, but it's very it is true. difficult to, to 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 understand. Like, okay, if I play these songs in this order, maybe this will really connect with people. But there are so many more things that are responsible for whether people enjoy themselves. Like, it's yeah, it, it's you know, partly me, but also partly each other. How. Like Adding in the chemistry of, of touring, you know, across the world and yeah. jumping from different country to country, continent yeah. to continent, yeah. that has to add an extra wrinkle yeah. of, like, I can't pretend to know what's going to work yeah, but exactly. I, quite. I think you're right. I think, actually, in honesty, it's harder playing festivals because people are uh, they're a bit more blasé sure. in a way. So, um, but maybe that makes them more rewarding when they do work, but... Um, yeah, I think a festival, sorry, a, a headline show is, you've, like, half of the work is done because people know you. So. They're there for you, specifically. Yeah. yeah, so I suppose when one's drum machine doesn't work like it did today <laughs> and the, it's a bit hot, so the laptop starts crackling and, like, those things are difficult to deal with, but, like, God, there are bigger problems in life. Like, it's fun. Like, it's, yeah. like uh, today I got to play two new pieces of my music to people who have never to, to a few people who've never heard it and like it's that's a real joy to me and it's yeah. were you a festival goer before you started performing yourself like actually no like yeah. I've never been that person I think I've always experienced music less communally but much more in a, in a personal sense so that's I interesting that's, yeah, people no, always associate you know uh electronic music particularly with yeah. like this is something you do in a large group in that community as opposed yeah. to something more introspective yeah. well, I think I think dance music if we talk about electronic music maybe we have to siphon off like certainly yeah no no, no but I think um, I think you're right I think like dance music is associated with being with your friends losing your sense of self and feeling a, a broader sense of like community that that's why people do that you know 
Um, but I don't really make dance music. Right. I live in this stupid little place between a lot of things, and I, I grew up listening to like Roixop and Boards of Canada yeah. and this kind of very like late '90s introspective electronic music that was maybe not built for a festival or a you know a, a headline stop, but m much more for your headphones, I suppose. So. Maybe I should just do a silent disco. <laughs> Everyone's wearing headphones. Have you ever been to one of those? No, I haven't. But I, I, I mean, went to one at yeah. uh, End of the Road Festival. Okay. And, uh, and it was very strange. Yes. But this, I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's a market for like a silent disco, but just ambient music. That mm. would be my dream. Yeah. But it's a bit new age and a bit California. I don't know where you're from. It doesn't have to be. I'm from Chicago. Okay, so, fine. So well, that's we like know, house like, music. Like that, right, but that, yeah. So I don't know. I mean... Like there are there are artists I love who I look at and I'm like you know how to do this electronic music that's not quite dance music that is still you know in the, in the realm of dance but not like it's sure. not like a DJ set right 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 so I, I'm still figuring it out but there are people out there who I look at and I think you do it really well so speaking of uh, Roixop and Boards of Canada and those kinds of bands yeah. was there a first band of that ilk that really brought you into wanting to do this yourself. Um, a massive attack, probably. Mm. Yeah, like I remember listening to all like Portishead, kind of that kind of music really, really spoke to me because it it almost sounded like traditional songs, but it was so forward-thinking in its instrument instrumentation and stuff. And um, yeah, I I remember listening to Massive Attack, but also Daft Punk in a way. And I yeah. suppose that they're like super dancey, but. I've got to a point now where I've kind of tried to embrace the fact that I'm not danceable, but I'm also <laughs> kind of danceable. Sure. That's my thing. Fuck I mean, it's all a spectrum. Sorry, I'm swearing. That's uh, okay. That's totally fine. swear on podcasts? Yeah, on this one. Okay, great. We encourage it. Great. Was um, there one of those bands that you were able to see live, or what was the first thing you saw live as a fan? So, as a fan, it would have been when I was at university uh, in London, and but it would have been very... It would have been like proper dance music. It would have been in a club. So I right. did when I was in my like when I was like seventeen, well eighteen, I guess. Um, I would go and see like UK Garage, which is a very specific UK thing. But, right. Um, like UK Garage and Jungle. I used to go to these like club nights in like two thousand and five, six, and I really loved that. But it wasn't really a festival. There's it a would totally be, different vibe. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was very much a different vibe. Um, but I never really went to festivals because I was always spending my time at home writing music like yeah. a loser like all my best friends <laughs> they'd all be going they were like are you going to Benny Kasim or Primavera and I was like I don't know what they are but I love writing music yeah and it's interesting because it's certainly informed a lot about like just not having that as part of my upbringing has certainly like informed how I think about these things now because I, I like I was never the kid who was like I want to play festivals right. as a musician so it's never been a goal of mine but like it's been this accidental thing that's happened and it's like it's been more about like an emotional connection as well, opposed just, to exactly but yeah. I just love headphones because it's it's one on one completely yeah. one on one yeah. so it's like um, but maybe that's just because of that's how I listened to music so I don't know I I don't know if there's a right answer to this or a wrong one, but like, no. I've always been quite an introverted person when it comes to music. Like, yeah. I've never, I would, you know, like I listen to Joy Division, they're one of my favorite bands, but on headphones. Right, right. And it's like, that's how I listen to music. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't go and see like New Order now play. Sure, I should right. But actually like, honestly, at the same time, recently I was watching some of Glastonbury and I watched the Chemical Brothers and I was like, oh my God, yeah. this is absolutely incredible. They were here just last night. I know, yeah, yeah. and they are, they are unbelievable. And right. they know how to put on a show. Definitely. But it doesn't feel like a quote unquote show. It's like, this is an experience in the best possible way. Definitely. When you're on a festival bill, I'm obviously you were just, you're around the world, you're not necessarily at a city for a week before a festival. Yes, yeah. How do you tend to use the time that you have before your performance? Are you do you do anything to sort of boost yourself up to get ready for it? What, what's yeah. your experience there? Um, I mean, I'm going to sound very, 
I'm going to sound, you don't really have the phrase in America, but like a wanker. It sound like a wanker. <laughs> I, it's, that's traveled enough that I, but it's like, yeah, <laughs> I think it's understandable. So I like to go for a run in the city where mm, I am. Yeah. And it, I just sound like such a douche. Douche is a better way of saying it. <laughs> but if you run around a city, you have no obligation to feel like you have to stop and look at things. Sure. But you get this much more... Um, you get a very different look of a place because you're you're not obligated to 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 stand around to meet people. You just yeah. you're getting a kind of uh, like a, an air of it in a sense. So, like being on tour is it, it, it is hard, it just like like physically as well as emotionally. But if if you can like try and exercise, I've found like I didn't always used to go for a run around the city, but like it's such a nice way of getting a sense of just the, the, the topography and also yeah. like a, just a small quick whiff of what the city's about you and have it, to become part of the traffic almost yeah. like part exactly. of the life yeah, no no you're, quite yeah. You're, yeah you're quite right and um, there's something really nice about that experience because you know I can't go to every museum or every exhibit right. or like every lovely restaurant or every old historic place in every town so like if you just run around for 30 minutes like a <laughs> kid yeah it's actually really nice it's like a it's like really good for you and also it's just it's you get the and it's also lovely to listen to listen to music and in those points and yeah i really enjoy like going for a run and listening to an album because yeah oh sorry (laughs) also what about uh after a performance i mean not obviously i'm talking to you right now after a performance you've had another interview as well this might be an exception this might be the norm i don't know but do you have any way to cool down afterwards? Um, <laughs> I, it, like honestly, like in the most pedestrian, boring way, it just depends on the schedule. If you yeah. like have an early flight, you just want to go to sleep, <laughs> and it's so strange um, because if That's you've healthy, had a, if you've had a really good show, it's like you, there's something about you that wants to, in a slightly narcissistic way, celebrate that. And, sure. Um, yeah. I, there's this very strange detachment that one feels when you have a, an amazing experience with all these people that you don't know yeah. and then you walk off stage and then they're gone they're gone yeah. you're gone you're just part of their night you go back and you know have a shower and then like great I'm up at 5am so the next one it's, it's just strange it's a strange kind yeah. of um, it's a strange thing I suppose you know speaking of, of- you know, being gone the next day. It sounds like you've got some tour dates coming up in the USA in, in a couple months. Is that right? Uh, is it closer yes. than that? Maybe? Uh, maybe closer than that, yeah. So, like, um, August, I have a few bits going on. Nice. Do you tend to see different uh, experiences happening among fans at different con- countries, different continents? Does yeah. That... Yeah, no, definitely. I think... Um... <laughs> That's the, that's the lead singer of the national yes. blow drying his yeah. hair. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the show that you're playing, but really, like, yeah, you know, I, I'm, luckily I'm supporting Bonobo in the end of August, which will be really good fun. Yeah. And a lot of our Absolutely. fans kind of, you know, there is a there's a Venn diagram, and I'm somewhere in the middle of those things, and and that's that's a real compliment. And. Yeah, I mean, do I see people having these unique experiences? No, because the, like I really don't like looking up and trying to maintain eye contact with people. Yeah, like, yeah. like it's weird. Definitely, it's so weird. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm just gonna look at you whilst I play my music and like, like let just, me see what I can do. Yeah, yeah, what am I doing to you? Right, like human that I don't know. <laughs> I hate it. Like I, I'm not into that. Yeah, but there's there's this there's this kind of gaze that people can adopt where like you look out at the crowd in front of you in a nonchalant non-committal way where you don't you're looking at everyone but you're not actually meeting their eyes and I'm still yet to figure that one out because all I end up doing is like I look out at the crowd I focus on one person and then they get really freaked out <laughs> and then they look at me like I'm really not enjoying your show and then I feel you know self-conscious and, and then that's going to affect then, the way you're performing and then, performing, and then it and unravels just, and just a bunch, cry, of, cry bunch in the of men need to push you around on wheels and then <laughs> exactly. stand it. but no I, I, yeah it's I'm still not used to the experience and I'm, I'm no one like I'm literally no one no one knows who I am and it's great I'm on my third album like it's I don't one, think that's true no it's definitely true come on it's definitely true like I'm still no one and it's such an amazing position to be in because there's no expectation so I can just do whatever I want and the best artists always do that regardless of 
whether whoever they are but as long as they're enjoying it too yeah no exactly yeah. so yeah but there's no expectation with me so I just try and enjoy myself and yeah I mean I've got some shows coming up I guess supporting Bonobo I've got a few shows around that as well which would be great fun and uh, yeah I mean every time I do this I'm in this amazing very strange uh, kind of emotional space of being like I I'm so nervous about this, but also I have to be so grateful about this. Yeah. So it's it's like you're trying to enjoy it, but you can't because you're so nervous. But then, yeah, you, you take yourself it, out of your head, which so might weird. cause yourself to be more. And I in think your head. that music yeah. is that bridge in a way. Like right. That's what makes the, that's the actual point of all this stuff, is that communication because you you know you get so nervous about trying to do a show for people that they will enjoy, and you you know you think about every single person there every story that they have in their life everything that they're carrying when they come to come you know when they come to your stage and see you and, you know the relationships they have with their friends and all of that ridiculous web of huge you know stuff that you don't understand and you're just this person standing on stage and yeah it's a strange it's a strange it's a strange old thing but um, it is worth it when when you feel like there's a connection to people you don't know I guess yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's the point, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a pleasure, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. This Must Be the Gig is produced by Adam Kibble, and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and the Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com. Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.